It's been six years of podcasting, and without our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to bring these podcasts to you. So I want to thank today's sponsors. And first off, we have the Pretentious Pickle Company of 190 Water Street in Plymouth. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to get down there, uh, go down and check out what they make. They have everything pickled you can imagine from uh, pickled beets to carrots to mushrooms to onions to Brussels sprouts and cauliflower. They even have pickled um, uh, or pickled flavor cotton candy, I should say. They make it fresh there every day, and you can go in there and check out what they have to offer. And if you're not in the Plymouth area, you can go to pretentiouspickle.com and check out what they have to offer there as well, and they will ship it out to you. Their stuff is delicious. You should check it out. And uh, they are big fans of ours, and we are big fans of theirs. So thank you to the Pretentious Pickle Company for sponsoring today's episode. And our second sponsor today is Moonrise Cinemas. Moonrise Cinemas is a new drive-in in Plymouth. Uh, right on the Plymouth-Kingston line. They're located at 428 Court Street in Plymouth, Mass. And they offer a great selection of movies. You can go. It's very family-friendly. I went and checked out The Goonies there. They've had Marvel movies, a wide variety of stuff. And they're really starting to expand. They have had uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. This coming year, they're doing music on thursday nights on wednesdays are going to be 420 friendly events so make sure you check out what they have to offer uh, moonrisecinemas.com it's a great venue they have a beer garden they have uh their own food their food's phenomenal and they're bringing back their french toast which i'm very excited about uh, so make sure you check out what they have to offer, moonrisecinemas.com. And if you use in code INEBRIART when purchasing tickets, you'll get 10% off. So make sure you go to moonrisecinemas.com to get your tickets for movies, concerts, and more. And use code INEBRIART for 10% off on your purchase. And now let's jump right into the podcast. Welcome back, Inebriate. This is Andy, the Inebriate Podcast, as always. And uh, today I am joined by a, a new movie director um, with a background in the music industry. Uh, Dave McLean, welcome to the show. Yeah, good to be here, Matt. Yeah, lovely. So I get so many PR um, announcements through my inbox, and yours caught my attention because I think there was some sort of, like, quote there that said it would be it was a train spotting of our generation or the, uh, the new generation or something along those lines and <laughs> that just caught my attention i watched the trailer and i was kind of really really impressed like i i'm excited to see this movie it's called schemers and it's sort of is it completely autobiographical or is it more like a almost famous kind of thing how would you describe this this uh movie uh, well that little period that is uh kind of documented the film is only over about six months and it's just exactly what happened over six months. It's just like a little snapshot of what I did. So, yeah, I suppose it's autobiographical or what we're expressing as, yeah. It, that's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit crazy, but it's all true. And, uh, well, it's all, you know how the, 
one little incident can spin off a, like an entire story. So sure. it's all based on a true story and the incidents kind of happened in one shape or form, but names have been changed, etc. You know, the usual <laughs> to protect the usual. to protect the guilty. To, to, to protect <laughs> the innocent. To, to protect the innocent to protect the guilty or whatever, yeah. Um so I mean if you can tell us a little bit about the I mean obviously the movie's about you and getting into the movie mu- uh, sorry mu- music industry um how did mm-hmm. all that even come to be in the first place like how did you were you always into music and bands and- No never into music in the slightest my brother was always into music he's he was really great at music he still is he's sitting in the next room actually just now and um I I was always at the football and I was kind of pretty good at football until one day on a frosty, frosty morning before the game, I had a double vodka and orange and went out and thought I could be like George Best. You probably never heard of George Best, but he's like no. Maradona or Messi or some Ronaldo or something like of, okay. of the day. And um, some guy broke my leg. So that was the end of my football thing. And um, I was at college. but I was still connected to football because we needed to get football strips. And to do that, my friend John suggested running a disco. And that simultaneously, along with this type, I really fancied this girl at the college. Mm-hmm. And I could, ne- I could never pluck up the, the courage to talk to her. And John said, tell you what, we'll run this disco and you sell her tickets. And she used to sit with six of her friends. So I thought, right, well, I could never, I never talk to her. Not, not six of them, definitely not six of them. Anyway, with the tickets, I felt emboldened to go across and say, Girls, I'm a promoter. I'm running a disco. Do you want some tickets? And they said no. So that, that was it was quite blank. Yeah. And I said they're only two pound fifty each. No. I went. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you them. Okay. So I gave them six. I gave them six tickets. So I went back to see John, and he said, "How did it go?" I says, "Great. They're all coming." He says, "Fantastic. That's six two pound fifties. That's fifteen pounds." I went, "Well, no, really. They're on the guest list." He says, Dave, that is not a good business model. Right? But anyway, so we did the disco. We did the disco and we paid a DJ 50, I'll, I'll say dollars instead of pounds, right? Yeah. We, we paid a DJ $50 and we made a $1,000 profit, right? It was, it was ridiculous. It was great. So after buying the football strip, which was $100, we had $900 left. And uh, we did discos for a few months. And then I said, you know what, John, this disco is boring, like, man. Let, let's do bands. So instead of making $1,000 a night and paying a DJ $50, we started paying a band $1,000 a night and making nothing. But it looked cool. Yeah. It, it looked yeah. good. So you're doing the Cure and Ultravox and Susie and the Band Seas or whatever it was, to, uh, you know, load, load, loads and lots of bands. But it <coughs> looked really good, you know? Yeah. And it kind of make you this is not politically correct these days of course but it you, you made you a bit more attractive to the the, 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 the female persuasion you know what I mean sure so that's why that's why we got into it you know? it's funny because you know, I talked to a lot of musicians and and uh, a lot of them say you know they picked up their guitar or the drums or whatever because you know they were a teenager and they were looking <laughs> to impress girls or whatever and so it's, it's, it's yeah, you know the story it. is all this time that's, that's you know? reason at what point well, did there's you... no other reason that was yeah. it and then so i got into that at what point did you realize it could be a career 
Uh, well, not immediately, it has to be said. Um, we, <laughs> we, we, we did all these early bands, like, you said, like the ones I mentioned, like obscure bands like Gang of Four, Fisher's Head, Only Ones, all that sort of well, stuff. You mentioned, really, really, really good. you mentioned Susie and the Banshee. Banshees, I wouldn't call her obscure. Oh, no, no. I mean, <laughs> no, no, not, not, not obscure, but not like massively. And just yeah. like, you know, doing a thousand people or something like that. And, um, and then we, we did all these gigs and we got into trouble because we were all money to this kind of gangster guy. And the only way we could square up the money was by doing a huge gig and making lots of money. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That, 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 that was our theory anyway, right? So uh, instead of doing gigs at a 500 capacity club, we did one at a 2,200 capacity venue. And uh, that was Iron Maiden. So we did them. And uh, more by total accident than design, certainly not by my efforts, because I was utterly hopeless, we ended up doing about 1,600 people and paying, making enough money to pay off the guys. So then I got into the promotions thing. So kind of went from there, really. But um, the little caveat to that story is it's not in the film. The money I made on that gig, I went to the casino and put it on black at roulette and lost everything. So uh, I had to walk five had to walk five miles home because I couldn't afford the taxi. So so that so that was that. And and then I left Dundee on, under a has to be said a cloud of some sort, and ended up as a swimming a lifeguard attendant at a hotel, a lifeguard, which was unusual in so much as I couldn't swim. Uh, so that was that. <laughs> but, but, but but my my brother got me the job, and after two two years dilly dallying about there, I had to leave under another cloud, a bigger cloud actually, and um, I, I picked up the um, promotions baton again, and moved to London. <laughs> was and, and I mean, how I mean, working with Iron Maiden in that early in your career, like how did how did something like that come to be? Like, did you? Know people in the industry already was Iron Maiden not nearly Never knew anybody. Just Never knew up, anybody. Just pick up the phone and call them. Uh, in fact, I met Iron Maiden last week. Their management in uh, a great pub if you're in London called the Cadogan Arms, and they they gave me the footage for the movie for nothing on on the premise that I bought them lunch. So I bought them lunch last week, <laughs> three years delayed because of COVID. Yeah. So inflation and, and inflation paid its price there. But it was still very much cheaper than paying for the footage. So um, no, I never knew I had made from um, you know the man in the street. To be honest with you, I phoned, phoned this agent phoned me up. First of all, I phoned this agent and said, "It's in the film. I want to book Fleetwood Mac, Pink Floyd, and the Stones." And after the receptionist had stopped laughing, she put me through to the agent. And the agent said, "And this is honest to God what he said." He said. If you want to book any of these bands, it's going to cost you a thousand pounds a mile. What a thousand pounds a mile? What are you talking about? So I got the A to Z. We used to have a thing called the A to Z, and mm-hmm. you could work out the mileage from L- London to Dundee. I went, that's going to be about a million pounds. That's that's too much for me. Like, you know, he says, well, that's what I was. He hung up the phone. So then I phoned up later. He says, have you got any other bands? He says, I've got a band called Iron Maid. Going to be huge. And, and on, it's like in the film, I'd never heard of them. Literally, yeah. like I said, right, great, great, give me them. How much? So, don't know what it was, a couple of grand or something. It wasn't that much anyway, but, but like it was enough. It was a lot compared to what we used to pay. He says, but they're going to be huge, blah, blah, blah. So, we booked the biggest venue in Dundee, 
and uh, we booked him, and that was that. And uh, but the rest is literally history. <laughs> it, it's, it worked out okay. It's funny. Uh, that is such a great technique, and I actually use it myself all the time because I'll I'll get in my head like, oh, this person would be great for the podcast, and I'll reach out to their PR and kind of explain who we are, and you know, say nine and a half times out of ten, I get turned down. But then I'm always like, oh, well, you know, uh, you, have, you have other people, you know, and we're always yeah. looking for guests. And it, it's such a great technique just to kind of be open to that opportunity and, and throw it out there. Yeah, just sort of like uh, try things. But the funny thing is, I never did any promotion. It's like in the film, right? I got the contract, stuffed it under the couch, never read it, right? And then my dad said to me one day, he says, hey, Davy, Davy. He said, you've got that gig on, and in your bedroom, there's at least 200 posters. I went, yeah, no, Dad. Eh? He said, the gig's in two days, son. I went, yeah, yeah. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll pick them up tomorrow. He said, get <laughs> off your arse. Let's get these. And, and me and him went and put the posters up all over Dundee. And uh, it, it was nuts. And on the day of the gig, we'd only sold 200 tickets, and it held 2,300. And the band turned up. And uh, how's it going? And the manager's, how's it going? I went, oh, it's going awesome. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to love it, mate. Yeah, superb. And um, I took them all to the pub and, you know, we all had a few drinks. But prior to that, the, the manager said, where's the crew? I never had any crew. I, I thought he's talking about a ship or something or a boat or something like that. I never knew yeah. what they were. He says, no, pe people to help with the gear. I went, all oh, right, right. And I looked across the street and there were these four kind of junkies, alkies were sitting about of the smoke and I went why boys what's happening much on today and they went no nothing's happening Dave I went oh, come on got a wee job for you so that was the crew <laughs> then he asked for the catering I, I says how do you mean the catering he says well breakfast I went well there's a there's a wee coffee around the corner there. he says you're meant to supply I went alright oh, aye okay and then same for dinner so I phoned my mum uh, we used to say this multi-story, I don't know what you call them in America, but high-rise flats are really dumped, like, you know, with loads of junkies and glue sniffers and all that shit. And uh, I said to my mum, mum, got a problem. She says, what is it? I says, I need you to come down and cook breakfast for 30 people, then lunch, then dinner. And then she said, where will, where will I get the money? I says, oh. all your holiday money that you're saving in that big whiskey bottle. It's packed with pound notes. I've seen it. So she smashed open this bottle and went to Asda, the supermarket, yeah. came down, made all the sandwiches. My dad was spreading the rolls. And it, was just, <laughs> it, was a t it was a team effort. Yeah. And on the night, God knows what happened, but on the night, like we had about a 1,200 walk-up. Like you'd never get that now because everybody buys in advance. But right. in these days, it's more sort of word of mouth and people kind of got the drift. And, they just all turned up and it ended up being a own success and I lost all the money at roulette that same night as I think I mentioned. Eh? I went to the, this, uh, the casino uh, with my share of the profit and lost it all in a black and had to walk home. So there you go. I, I love that kind of just figuring it out as you go. D did you approach ah. directing the same way? Well, the, the directed story is funny because the, 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 the film was shot, believe, believe you me, this is probably the first person you have ever talked to that did three shoots, right? The first shoot, I had a director, in inverted commas, right? Mm -hmm. Loosely called the director. And did 43 hours of footage. And then he never showed me any rushes or whatever you call it every day. 
and he presented me with the film, at which point I contemplated jumping off the bridge that turned on. There's two bridges. Yeah. There's a very high high one and there's a lower one. I was going to go for the higher one just to make a bigger impact and kill myself. And then I thought, right, okay, you're gone. You're history. See you later. And the DOP guy suggested I get this editor in. So he got this editor called Khaled Spiewak. This editor come. He said, Dave, you've got, there's loads of footage here. We could put a movie together here, but scenes need to be rewritten to tie it together for the continuity. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got Khaled to Bangkok and I wrote all these new scenes, mainly me, kind of a little bit of him. And then we came back and then I directed the second part. But the, the funny thing is, the first part was shot in May in Dundee, which was 80 degrees and sunny. Yeah. And the second part was shot in January, minus 10. But it was sunny. <laughs> but it was sunny. It yeah. was sunny. But before the actors would do their, their, their takes or whatever it's called, they'd be wrapped up in hot water bottles and blankets and they'd come out pretending it was June, right? So that, that was good. And the only way that you could really tell is when they're on the bridge and Davy and Sean are walking over the bridge and Davy, who's played by Connor Berry, who's brilliant, has a little droplet coming out of his nose. It's like quite <laughs> a funny humor. It's like a... It's like an icicle or something like you know. So, so that was that, and then, so that was my part of the right. I, I, that that other guy who showed me nameless did the first half. I did the second half, and then the third bit was a one day shoot where we had to reshoot the Iron Maiden scene, and they agreed to give me the footage from a concert for lunch. Yeah, for lunch, just just for lunch. Nobody even had to pay for it. If I would rewrite the their manager scene. So and reshoot it. So we so we did that. So I can pretty much guarantee that it's not in the A to Z of directing. Okay. <laughs> Most likely not. Definitely not. Hundred percent. Did did you overall enjoy the whole um process? And is it like do you have like a sequel in mind for like later in the career? Oh this oh the sequel's brilliant. I've I've got three other films, right? But um and the scripts are all written for the three movies and I've got everything in place it's, it's really exciting but did, did I enjoy the first part the the first part see you can always get gold out of rubbish you know what I mean mm-hmm. if you seek it hard enough right so the first part is part of a a book I'm writing because it's so funny because the first part was so bad it's funny so you have to write it down right yeah. so that's actually paid dividends because that's that's in a book uh, the second part was brilliant because it was just fantastic laugh and the third part I never knew much about because it was only one day and I was back in Bangkok so yeah overall it was a great experience and it inspired me to do more films and the follow up is called Sold Out which is in London 1986 to 1994 and all the bands I promoted during that time the jobs I had the stupid things I did the scrapes I got into and it really centers around me and a guy, Scott Young. You need to Google Scott Young's name. Scott Young Dundee property. And it comes up 10 million hits or something. He died in very mysterious circumstances. So he he kind of went his way and did his thing. Yeah. And I went my way and did my thing. And I was into music. He was into his business. So the soundtracks along the lines of, you know, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pumpkins and all that. And I'm dealing with dodgy people. He's dealing with extremely dodgy people. 
It's a real kind of behind-the-scenes music business where everything goes on that nobody really talks about, you know, like blackmail, corruption, bribery, threatening behaviour, intimidation. But funny, you, you have to laugh it off, like, you know. Yeah. Uh, so he, it, it kind of boils down to, I got really successful doing what I did. He got really successful doing what he did. Then the the big thing was I was going to do Nirvana for a huge festival because we used to promote all their shows. Kurt died. Looks like the end of the world for me. Then I get a tape through the box, gets brought in by this guy. It's Placebo, who has still managed to this day, whose album's going to be number one loads of places this week. And I get that tape, so that's the way it finishes. It's like, everything's going great, boom, everything falls down, boom, and it comes up good at the end. So it's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to that. That sounds awesome. But I, I find that to be very much the way, is like, you know, not everything you try works out, and sometimes things go out of, out of your control that fall apart, and it, you just kind of have to keep pushing forward and kind of find the next band or the next artwork or whatever it is that you do to kind of like oh yeah get you through oh yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's like i did another like i've got another film called uh knit and smoke which is about a uh, festival i did in bangkok with oasis snow petroleum brown placebo franz ferdinand loads of bands i was like the first western guy to do a big festival in bangkok it's too long a story but it's hilarious right it's a real culture class because i live there now thailand mm-hmm so it's like lost, there's a lot of lost in translation moments, a lot of funny moments, but a lot of c- kind of pretty scary moments where you really realise, hang on, these guys are actually serious. <laughs> you know, you're, who you're sort of mucking about with and you know, trying to be funny. So you got to behave. So that's so that's another film. But and it's like you say, sometimes things go wrong. Like I did a gig in Bangkok twelve, thirteen years ago. I lost two hundred forty-two thousand dollars on a night. One Jesus. night, and my wife uh, Tian, she's Thai, she's great, she's awesome. She's uh, I went back the next day. She said, uh, "How did the concert go?" I went, oh, "I was down, like you know, how much you lose." I went, "Oh, it's two hundred forty-two grand, like you know, which twelve million baht or something." She went, "Oh, not to worry. You tried to do the good job, didn't work." I went, oh, "Only a Buddhist could say that, you know." I mean, if I'd been married to a Scottish girl or something, they would have gone, you stupid bastard, you've lost all that money, we could have bought a house in Phuket or something, you know? Yeah, I feel but like she the said, Americans oh, would uh, have, a, have that similar opinion. Oh. Yeah, but it was like, just keep calm, don't worry, everyone will come back, you know, karma, blah, blah, blah. So that, so that was that. So you win some, you lose some, like, you know, you just go, like, go with the flow. So you've talked about dealing with a lot of shady people uh, back in the 80s and 90s. Has the industry gotten better or is that still something that you have to deal with? Or? Um, well, for me, it's easy now because uh, I'm the manager of... It's different if you're the manager because the manager rolls up to gig and the promoter's a promoter, whatever he does. So you're paid all your money up front. You get the money from the agent, gets all the money, you're paid in, doesn't matter what happens, you turn up to do the gig. But when you're a promoter, back in the old days, you anything that makes money attracts people, right? Yeah. So if you like if you're doing gigs with five thousand, ten thousand people a night and you're running, I mean we used to run about ten clubs in London, what Camden, 
New Cross, Brixton, Islington, you know, all over the place, right? But I was a bit naive in these days, you know. So we're running all these clubs and all this business is coming through it. And you, you obviously things going on. You don't, you don't really realise what's going on. Do you think, you know, that's a bit unusual, you know, but you just do it. But luckily, and you know, freely admit it, I mean, being friends with Scott was a good ally for me, you know, because Scott went his way, and, but he always looked out for me. He says, look, uh, I'll always look after you. I respect what you're doing and I do my thing, but if you ever get into trouble, give us a shout, like, you know. Yeah. So I, I had my kind of I had kind of guardian angels around me while I was doing my stuff. Because it is big business. I mean, there is a lot of money floating about. And wherever there's money, there's going to be people trying to get off you, you know, simple as that. Right. So in my, um, in some of the scripts, because I'm getting on a bit now, I'm like 66. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I, I, I can actually tell a story whereby some guy says, we should get something done to some guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And 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 I can say no, you can't do that, you know, because there's an easier way, like you know. And many a time I've stepped in between Mister A and Mister B to save Mister X, <laughs> you know. <laughs> See you later, like you know, because uh, that's not my style. But people can get pretty volatile and pretty pissed off if they've been ripped off for a uh, five hundred grand or something, you know. Yeah. So between manager, producer, and director. Do you have a particular one that's your favorite, or do they kind of scratch a different itch? Uh, well, I love I love being a promoter from wh- whereby you could um, book a venue. Say it was Wembley Arena or something like that, held twelve thousand people or something, mm-hmm. and you booked a band like say Smashing Pumpkins, right, which we did a lot of, and you put the tickets on sale. And first of all, the first day's ticket sales, you look at them and go, "Wow, that's a good start," right. Now, it's like another three, four months of the gig. So you watch the ticket sales creeping up. It's good. Now you get a sellout. Then you go to the gig and you're there early because you've got to be there for the get-in and all that. And you see the, the PA coming in, the lights and the rig and this going up. And then the doors wrote, the queues around the block, and the crowd come in and the buzz, this is the buzz of the crowd and the drinks are going and the band come on. And then the, the place goes mental. Then the crowd sort of disappear. Then I always used to think to myself, it's probably quite romantic, crazy sort of thing. But say I've done about 3,000 gigs in my life at venues between 500 and 20, 25, 30,000 or something. Must be millions and millions of people pass through there, like, you know? And yeah. you think, how many people have met, met each other at these gigs? How many people have gone on to get married at these gigs, get divorced after me <laughs> getting married at these gigs? Had kids at, after these get or whatever, like you know. Yeah. So once you once you book a show, even like one small show, could be a small show, thousand capacity, you set off a little train of events where somebody can say if it's in London, somebody in Camden can buy a ticket, somebody in Islington, or somebody in New Cross, or somebody in Finchley, or something like that. They buy a ticket randomly and they go to that gig. They could bump into somebody randomly at a bar. Hey, how's it going? Whatever. Like, oh, you're nice. What's your name? You know, whatever. You, you set off a little train of events. Yeah. I always think it's a bit, maybe a bit, sounds a bit airy-fairy, but kind of, that's what I love, the promoting side of it. The management side is great if you've got a good band. If you manage a rubbish band, it's terrible because nobody comes to the gigs and they get any money, right? so it's a waste of time. But if you're lucky and you get a good band, you get paid loads of money, you get treated great, five-star hotels, private jets, 
you know, limousines every place, wading with loads of dough, super. So that's good. But then make the film is even probably kind of better because you can make your film with your story, not necessarily my story, but mm-hmm. story around about my time or whatever. And then you can incidents, you can set music to the I love setting the music to the incidents. Yeah. That, see if you see someone visual and you've got the right music with it. And then you could put a little bit of script where that's quite funny. And then you see it on the on the screen. And then if people laugh at it, go, oh, that's funny, or they get quite scared at it, or they get you get a reaction, or you win an award or something, people say, you know, something good about it. You, you're like, yeah, well, you do feel good. That's nice, like you know. Yeah. And because I manage bands and I'm always commenting on the bands about great album, great song, great track, great performance, you did brilliant there, you did great there. Sometimes it's good for me to do my own thing, you know, like for my own satisfaction and right, say, right. oh, oh, you did all right there, Dave. Well done, mate. You know, it's, it's, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, after, or actually during COVID lockdown, um, we inadvertently got into uh, show promotion. Like uh, we're running comedy shows now. We have our first music show coming up in like two months. Um, it was never planned. It just kind of fell into our laps and we were like, all right, yeah, I guess we do this now. That's good. Yeah. And it, it's, I, I loved how you described kind of like, you know, the buzz of the crowd and the crowd coming in and all those little things. Cause those are kind of the most exciting parts that I've found. We had a show um local comedy show here and some of the previous comics showed up to kind of like watch the show and i I, to me i'm like that that's a huge sign you know when the the other professionals are stopping by so as a new show promoter yeah (coughs) do you have any advice well see we only used to promote bands that we liked like I mean, I was offered like Spice Girls, who who were like, you know, I mean, I was I was in uh, the Ray, Ray Cooper, who used to run Virgin America, uh, well, Virgin UK then America. We we're going up to see Placebo at Top of the Pops, which is a big TV show back in the day. And he says, "Come in my car. I've, I've got this new band to play you." So we're going up in the car. He says, "What do you think of this?" He put it on. And he goes, "Tell me what you want. What you really, really want. What you really, really want." I went. Fucking terrible, mate. He says, <laughs> that's my new band. That's my new band, the Spice Girls. We've got Baby, Sporty, whatever they were, right? They, yeah. they all had names. They're going to be massive. Do you want to promote them? I went, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he said, he, do you, he said, do you regret that? Says, do you regret that decision? Or are you just no, like, it just no, wasn't for me? No. Yeah. How, how, how could you promote like Nirvana Smashing Pumpkins, Rage Against Machine, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Stone Tower Pilots, Hole, Green Day, all that. And then suddenly I did the Spice Girls to your little mix. It's just like <laughs> nonsense, like, you know. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to have a passion for the bands. Every, every band we promoted, we, we really liked. So I, so I would say to you, don't promote anything you don't like, but there has to be a limit. You, you can maybe fall in love with one band and you promote them for too long. You, think, you know what? Nobody else likes them. It's a waste of time. <laughs> but you've got to give it a chance. Go go where you've got feeling at the start. Yeah. But once, once you've maybe had about three or four gigs where we won band, it's not going to happen. Just knock it on the head. But but never promote anything for the sake of somebody, somebody tell you it's going to be huge. And I mean, if you don't like the music, there's no point doing it because you're just not going to enjoy it. I mean, yeah. you have to go to the gigs and then, then you have to go backstage and say, 
wow, that was awesome. And I, I mean, I could never say that to, to big respect to Spice Girls, sold 25 million, 50 million albums. Who, I don't know, loads. But I could never have gone backstage and said, I loved the way you did. Uh, give me what I want, what I really want. I, I could yeah. never have done that. I mean, with a straight, with a straight face, you know. To be honest with you, that's just the way I am. Yeah, no, that's great because uh, I mean, it is such a you know, music is so uh, you know individualized. You know, everyone likes what they like. Yeah, but, of course it know, is. And there's things I don't like, but it doesn't mean they're not good. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's bands that I shouldn't like, like my. When it was during COVID, uh, I, like, it could have gone two ways of me. I could have sat on the bench or, like in the sofa watching Netflix, eating Pringles all day and drinking beer or something and put, like, put on 30 kilos and learn fluent Spanish by watching Narcos Mexico, Colombia and all that and, that, and <laughs> Tapo and Chapo. And, or, or I could have gone the other way, which is going on the road machine every day and doing some weights and that, playing to... a uh, a, ro- a rowing list on Spotify that my daughter made for me, yeah, with um, five seconds of five seconds of summer, <laughs> One Direction, the Banners, the Blossom, you know, just pop pop tunes that yeah. were sing along pop tunes that theoretically I shouldn't like by being a grungy rocky promoter, but I was like, this is great, this is brilliant. Yeah. So, like, music can fit any sort of mood you're in, if you know what I mean, you know. I feel like some of that comes with age too. Like I, I was in high school in like the the very late eighties and early nineties. So like all those bands you promoted were like mm. my musical awakening was when that that's when music like really hit home to me. And so you know I have a special place in my heart for them. But I feel like as you get older, you're kind of like it's less trying to find an identity and you can be like, no, I think Miley Cyrus has a great voice and I, you know, I enjoy her music. It's not the stuff I grew up on, but you know, she's a great singer and a great performer. And I feel like getting older, I'm like, you know, that watermelon sugar high song is very catchy. It's not my normal thing, but yeah, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, like um, there's a, there's a five seconds of summer track or something. It's called she's so hot or something. It's called, um, yeah, uh, and it's just it's just brilliant. It's pop. It's just happy music. You know, it's just good stuff. But I mean, in days of yore, I could hardly go down the pub and say, when I'm we all the grunge lot say, hey, you know what? Well, of course, it didn't exist at the time. Heard a new five seconds of summer track. It's awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you, you get slapped in the puss like you know. You yeah. get a Will Smith to you, boom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, you know, but but you mellow with age. You mellow, you know. Yeah. Do you see an up and coming trend, like music wise, locally here? And it's hard to say. Like, I don't have the exposure that you may have. Um, but uh, it feels like younger people around here, like I'd say, like the the early to mid twenties, are listening to a lot of funk music, which I find really surprising. But it seems to be Funk, really, yeah. yeah. It seems to be really popular now. Well, well, what is funk? First of all, get like, get like, give me a, a uh, funk, two, two, would, two funk tunes. I would say like uh, George, uh, George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. All oh, right, stuff like. I mean, yeah. I, met, I actually met him once at Lollapalooza. I think it was. Um, I don't know. I I was in a bar in Edinburgh last night in Scotland and. 
like Sly and the Family Stone. That that that's not funk, is it? That's um, like no. Uh, like, what's... Yeah, I wouldn't say it was, but I'd say it's like a cousin of funk, I guess. Yeah, I a, lot, a lot, a lot, distant, maybe yeah. a distant cousin. But, um, <laughs> but 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 I was sitting there having my chicken schnitzel and glass of red wine. And it was Papa was a rolling stone. And I thought, this music's fantastic. I'm, I'm going to come back to this bar again. And then it was playing all this retro ronettes and, you know, um, all that. I thought, this is, this is a great place. So that's the stuff I like. But whether the, my, my daughter, she's into, well, I've got two daughters, but the youngest one, she's, funnily enough, because of algorithms, which I hate, like all yeah. that algorithm shit, right? She's now saying to me, Dad, have you ever heard of a band called My Chemical Romance? I said, of course I have. Dad, have you ever heard of the Killers? Yes, I've heard of the Killers. <laughs> uh, you know, and Placebo played three shows with my chemical romance. At, there's a hundred thousand people. We're their special guests, like three nights at Milton Keynes, and she she thinks I'm pretty cool now because I, I I know these bands. And she says, Dad, Placebo came up on my algorithm today. I went, whoa! <laughs> and then five years ago, she said to me when she was ten, Dad, you've got to book this girl. I says, who? Billy Eilish. I said, never heard of her. Dad, honestly, she's going to be, she was only 10 at the time. Yeah. I said, never heard of her. So, of course, two years later, I'm going, Billy Eilish, that's that kid you're on about. Like, I said, yeah, yeah. So I try to book it like a million dollars or something. Like, okay, I missed that one. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, but kids are funny because they, they get switched on to, but like, she's mad on the Arctic Monkeys as well. And I think, where have you heard of the Arctic Monkeys? Oh, it came up on my playlist. And it's like, really weird, isn't it? How kids are that age. Or into the retro stuff. So maybe in your algorithm world in um, Detroit, that's what comes up in your radio state. I don't know how it works, but you know, yeah. maybe that's what it is. Maybe <laughs> I, it's like I'm just trying to, you know, because I, I, you know, when I was a kid, like we would listen to the radio or MTV, and and um, you know, there's still like word of mouth from friends, and you'd get weird, you know, discovering weird music. But I just don't understand like where my kids find new music. And it's like trying to like, yeah. well, like, oh, I listen on YouTube and then, you know, of oh, this playlist or whatever. So I'm always curious on like how that works now, you know, because it's so different. Oh, it, it's, it's ridiculously different. Like, like my daughter said to me, she showed me a picture one night of an egg on, what do you call that thing? Um, not tick, TikTok. Oh, TikTok. An yeah. egg. Yeah. She said, how many likes do you think that egg has? I went, I don't know, thousand, two thousand, a hundred million. I went, what a picture of an egg. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah. No, it was like, what? I just, I, I said, how would it be possible for a hundred million people to like a picture of an egg? And she said, oh, because there was another picture that people didn't like. And they said, if you put up a picture of an egg to defeat this picture, oh, it's like, I just give up. I just give up. <laughs> TikTok does the, make the mad, super no. old, yeah. Yeah, you know, and these stupid dances they do, and oh Jesus Christ, it's like crazy. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, is there any music, newer music, newer bands that you're listening to that you would you would recommend to turn people onto? The this, only my, this is my favorite question. I only asked this it. so I can uh, find out new music. That's that's why. Right. Well, the the only two new bands I'd recommend, three new bands I'd recommend. Funnily enough, I manage them all. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, there's a there's a band called Dea Matrona from Northern Ireland, D E A 
Matrona, M-A-T-R-O-N-A, who are championed by Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin. Okay. The guy in the Eagles that gets Glenn Fry, Van Morrison, people like that, all love them. They've got millions of streams, millions of streams, millions of views. There's three girls from Northern Ireland, 17, 19, and 20. There's a kid from the Philippines and Australia that I manage called Rin Rin, who's a cross between Avril Lavigne and Metallica. She's playing okay. loads of shows. She's 20. She's yeah. playing loads of shows, fe- festivals in Finland, Sweden, and whatever. And I've got a Thai German rapper called Alyssa Janine Woolman, who's working with Placebo and has got an album coming out in October. And uh, she's 22, half Thai, half German. She had a little fashion shoot last week that got two and a half million views in two days. Wow. So I, wa- I work on the basis that I am basically turning to Christopher Lee like the vampire. Is that the guy that played the vampire in the horror yeah. film? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because seemingly, because all, all my new artists seem to be female under 22, and I'm like <laughs> 66. So I think I'm a cross between Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, and the guy used to, and the guy that played it originally, I can't remember what his name was. The the, the older guy, the black and oh, white ones, uh, Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi. Yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 is me. I have turned into that guy. But seriously, but but check check it. These three, and they're great. I mean, they're all getting great gigs, big shows, huge shows, getting good money. It's happening, and it keeps me young. You know, like when you meet people like that, it's uh, it's hilarious. Um, what? <laughs> One of them said to me, the Thai German rapper girl, Alyssa Janine, said to me, we went out for dinner a few weeks ago. She always calls me Mr. Dave. And the, <laughs> the Philippine ones call, calls me boss. But she said to me, um, Mr. Dave, what was it like living in the 1930s? <laughs> 1930s? Look, this is, how old do you think I am? And then she realised that yeah. she got her calculations wrong. It wasn't actually 110. You know, but um, anyway, I thought it was quick. Yeah, that's awesome. It's quite the the innocence, the innocence of youth. You know. Yeah. Well, my daughter asked me that kind of question just to get me angry. So you know. <laughs> how old's your daughter? How, uh, how old's your daughter? Eighteen, and my son's about to turn twenty. Oh, eighteen. Yeah. Oh so. well, that's good then. Eighteen. Because I've got a daughter of twenty and a daughter of fifteen. So, to be honest with you, I've I've never had any of that troubled teenage years. Have you had that? Did you get any uh, no, the, 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 and the, like the troubled? I haven't, but to be fair, I'm a weekend dad, so I know uh, that you know I, I can't, I can't be that. like, oh, they're a piece you of can... cake, you know, because I, I got them for all the fun yeah. stuff, you know. But great, kids. yeah. Well, you know, to be fair, I'm to, to like to be fair, I'm a checkbook dad, yeah. But it's like dad, I want this to go, love it. I love you, dad, you're awesome, thank you. No problem. <laughs> That just reminds me, I gotta order so, boots. <laughs> oh, boots. boots. I've I have i have silly, I've got orders so much stuff. My daughter sent me the stuff. There's the shop in London. And li- literally, I wake up in the morning, we I think, oh, it's gonna be a busy day on business day. I've got about 20 texts. But all this is is pictures of these clothes and boots and socks and this and that. Yeah. And manga books and you know, all that. I think, all right, oh, really yeah. like this. Yeah, sounds very much good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they're too good. They're good kids, and I, I can't complain. You know, is it guys or, or, or daughters you've got? Uh, one of each. Oh, that's 
good. Yeah. That's good. A nice, yeah. nice picture on you. So, so we're we're coming to America with placebo in um, September. I don't. You're in Detroit. I don't think we're playing Detroit. Oh uh, no, we're we're just south of Boston. Oh, I don't think we're even playing. That. Oh no, we are. I think we're. Uh, it's not announced yet, but watch out for a good announcement in Boston. Okay, for sure. Come along. I'll put you on the guest list. That'd be no, awesome. <laughs> nobody knows about this shit. Okay. No, nah, I tell you what, it will be awesome. But once you know the bill, it will be awesome. But um. And it's in Boston Tea Party. There you go. That was a good song, Alex Harvey Band. Yeah, Boston Tea Party. Dig that one. It. It's a, a great place yeah. to see. Uh, I love seeing gigs in Boston. Um, you know the big venue it, venues yeah. are great, and we've got some like really small. I just I went and saw um, a friend's band play at the Paradise, which is a medium sized club, and it was like the first concert I got to go to since like covid kind of like opened up again um oh, so I, I went and saw the I elevators and, you felt great yeah. oh it was great it was weird but it was great you know so yeah it's good like like when i saw placebo in berlin the other night we we didn't allow any mobile phones they all got um sealed or whatever it is they do when you come oh, in and those little bags and yeah. the yeah but the atmosphere in the gig like instead of everybody standing filming for no reason whatsoever yeah taking selfies and all that there was like say 1500 2000 people were just like watching the band and the atmosphere that's crazy was <laughs> yeah, well, what, why are you watching the band why don't you get a <laughs> selfie with me yeah. look at me i'm like oh it's yeah. just brilliant it was a really good night so that was great so please keep in touch though and m- maybe drop me an email or something uh and we could maybe hook up at the gig in um Yeah, sure. Um is it Chicago is it Chicago or Boston? I can't remember the big gig we're doing, but Chicago and Boston's a big one. But they're okay. quite close. But anyway, it'll be great. Uh where can people go to check out uh schemers? Is there is it streaming? Like where well, where it's is it? The... Yeah. Apparently it's on nineteen platforms. Our distributor is Gravitas. But I know it's on like the usual um what do you call it? Amazons and iTunes and like various. I mean, all these yeah. usual devices that you'll see it, you know, but I mean, I, I suppose I should prepare a bit more uh, professionally and have a big list of things to reel off, but it, it should be easy enough found, like, you know, but it's um, it's a good wee film. It's good laugh. have great reviews. So people people either like it or spill their cup of tea, but generally speaking, people like it and have a laugh. And, yeah. You know, that's, that. that's all that matters. Have fun, you know. Outstanding. Enjoy. Don't take. So, uh, if you can hang tight, I'm going to uh, end this recording, say bye to our listeners, and then I'm going to grab that email from you once again. So, listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you guys again next week. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash inebriart to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.